to episode 45 of the Burning Bush podcast, where we share the message of the Bible while enjoying a good cigar. Thanks again for stopping by this week. Hope everybody's doing well. And this week I am smoking the Bahia Maduro. Uh, I've looked online and don't see that they have a website or any social media or anything like that. So uh, I'll just take you over to the old backup, cigarsinternational.com, and uh, see what they have to say about this cigar. Bahia Maduro. Bahia delivers while the CI hit squad empties both barrels in its ongoing war on high price. Bahia Maduro is exhibit number 19,650, delivering tasty handmaids at prices that can be best described as recklessly low. Bahia Maduro is the one that put Bahia on the map some years ago, an all-Nicaraguan blend of aged Cuban seed tobaccos secured in a three-year-old Habano binder from Nicaragua and cloaked in a dark and oily Connecticut broadleaf wrapper. Expert thick plumes of heavy flavor as this medium-bodied bahia dishes out a rich tobacco core, complemented by notes of coffee bean and earth. And the profile is medium strength. Binder is Habano, filler is Nicaraguan, and the wrapper is, of course, like I said, a Connecticut broadleaf. And the Vitolas are Corona Gigante, which is a Churchill 7x54. The number two torpedo, which is a six by fifty-four, and the ponchos, which is a robusto, one I'm smoking, five and a half by fifty-two, and uh, this is a pretty decent budget cigar. Uh, nothing uh, spectacular, but if you're looking for something, if you're looking for an everyday smoke, I definitely recommend them. All right, so with that, let's get back into uh, Dr. Justin Bass's book, The Bedrock of Christianity. And this is called Prologue, When Titans Meet. It was three years later that I went to Jerusalem to obtain information from Peter and stayed with him for two weeks. Galatians 1.18 We may presume they did not spend all the time talking about the weather. C.H. Dodd the apostolic preaching and its developments. We have many examples of historic meetings of saints throughout history. George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, and D.L. Moody, all three of them missionary titans of the 19th century, regularly visited and preached at Charles Spurgeon's Metropolitan Tabernacle, were Spurgeon's house guests, and probably conversed about Jesus and the scriptures into the late hours of the night. Oh, to be a fly on the wall for those prayers and discussions. In the last century, I think the most epic meeting of saints was between the myth-making giants C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Lewis records their first meeting in his diary on May 11, 1926. Tolkien managed to get the discussion round to the proposed English prelim. I had a talk with him afterwards. He is a smooth, pale, Fluent little chap, can't read Spencer because of the forms, thinks the language is the real thing in school, thinks all literature is written for the amusement of men between 30 and 40. No harm in him, only needs a smack or so. Tolkien, as a younger man, 
must have had one of those punchable faces. After this meeting, two of the most influential authors and Christian apologists of the 20th century met weekly at a pub in Oxford discussing Narnia, Middle Earth, Norse Norse myths, and how Christianity is the true myth. In the history of Christianity, there was at least one meeting that is even more important than the meeting of Lewis and Tolkien. It happened when the great apostles, Peter and Paul, spent a fortnight together in Jerusalem. This is not legend, but real history. After Jesus, Peter and Paul are almost certainly the two most influential figures in the history of Christianity. And there they were, walking the streets of Jerusalem together, conversing, praying, and sharing their hearts. An epic meeting indeed. What were the first words shared between Peter and Paul when they met? What did they talk about as they spent day and night together during those two weeks? What sights did they see? Who else joined them in their journeys? We do not know. History is silent. But what we do know, what is a bedrock fact, is that they did meet and spent these two weeks together. Scholars are unanimous that this meeting took place in Jerusalem. Even if we don't know the content of their conversation, or even the the exact year of the meeting, it was most likely within five years of Jesus' crucifixion, sometime between AD 33 and 38. There is also unanimous agreement that Paul is telling the truth when he says he was Peter's house guest for 15 days, Galatians 1.18. This is one of a handful of chronological markers Paul gives in his letters, especially in Galatians. In the same verse, he mentions three years later, Galatians 1.18, and the next chapter begins, then after an interval of 14 years, Galatians 2.1. In addition, Paul uses the strongest language to say he is telling the truth. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Galatians 1.20 Paul makes it clear to the Galatians that these events really happened. 2,000 years later, critical scholars of all stripes, non-believers and believers alike, agree. Two weeks is a long time to spend with someone, especially without the distraction of movies, television, or social media. They must have really bonded as fellow followers of Jesus and peered deep within each other's hearts. How could they not have become lifelong friends after this time? Early church father John Chrysostom sums it up well. Now to remain with him was an act of honor, but to remain with him so many days was one of friendship and extreme love. They were close enough as friends, as we read later in Galatians 2, 11 through 14, for Paul to feel, to feel comfortable enough to publicly rebuke Peter when he was not acting in line with the gospel. To obtain information from. Let us visualize both bearded men offering each other the right hand of fellowship and embracing in that first meeting. If this meeting took place in AD 37, Peter would have been in his early 40s and Paul in his late 20s. 
They must have both referred to the other with that uniquely Christian greeting, brother. Peter, brother Paul, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, greetings Cephas, I have eagerly desired to meet with you for years. Peter, and I as well, as soon as we heard the glorious news of our Lord appearing to you on the road. Where did they go from there? Did Peter take Paul fishing? Did they pray at the temple? Did they travel around Jerusalem and visit the places where Jesus was arrested, put on trial, and crucified? If so, this would have been the first Christian pilgrimage to the holy sites of Jerusalem, and the tour guide was St. Peter himself. Or maybe Peter took Paul to the courtyard where he denied Jesus three times. Maybe he told him the dark story in much the same way we find it in the Gospel of Mark. In our historical imagination, we can hear Peter saying to Paul with tears in his eyes, I denied him three times, right here. I cursed myself. I cursed Christ's name before men. And Paul responding, Cephas, you know how I persecuted the church of God. I have put many of his followers in prison, and even to death. I forced many to blaspheme. I tortured them until they cursed Christ's name. It is a bedrock fact that these titans met, but exactly what they discussed and where they went is left to the historical imagination. While we don't know exactly what they said to each other, there is one significant clue as to the content of their talks. Paul says, I went to Jerusalem to obtain information from Peter, Galatians 1.18. This phrase, to obtain information from, is one word in the original Greek, historio. It is where we get the English word history. It is found nowhere else in the New Testament. What historical information would Paul want to learn from Peter? As C.H. Dodd mentions above, they surely did not spend all their time talking about the athletic games or the weather. It is unimaginable that the primary content of their conversations did not involve the historical man, Jesus. In his commentary on Galatians, J. Lewis Martin says, It is, of course, inconceivable that during the visit, Cephas was silent about Jesus the Christ, about God's having raised him from the dead, compare with 1 Corinthians 15.5, and about the work among his fellow Jews to which God had called him. It is important to point out that Paul did not learn the gospel from Peter. As Paul forcefully argues in Galatians 1.11-12, he learned the gospel directly through a, a revelation of Jesus Christ, which occurred during his conversion about three years earlier. On the other hand, Paul did learn many historical facts and traditions about Jesus from Peter and others who knew the historical Jesus. This awareness of Jesus' life, exemplary character, and teachings is reflected all throughout his letters. See 1 Corinthians 7.10, 9.5, 14.00, 11, 1 and 2 and 23 through 26, 15, 3 through 7, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 10, 1, 
Galatians 1.19 and 4.4, Romans 14.14, 14, 15.3 and 8, and Philippians 2.5. See also 2 Thessalonians 2.15, 1 Timothy 6.13. From Galatians alone, we know that on the same visit, when he spent 15 days with Peter, Paul spent some time with James, Jesus' brother. Galatians 1.19. During his second visit to Jerusalem, AD 46-47, Paul met John, the son of Zebedee, and possibly others of the twelve, Galatians 2, 9-10, 1 Corinthians 15, 5. There the proposed authors of 21 of the 27 books of the New Testament were together, deciding the future of the Church of Jesus Christ. Those same hands that once embraced the historical Jesus we're now embracing Paul. It is very likely that this was the meeting where Paul received the creedal traditions he cites in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7, among other traditions and hymns concerning the historical Jesus. Creedal tradition is a phrase that means this section is, first, pre-Pauline tradition, and second, was composed in the form of a creed whether oral or written. Scholars are unanimous that this creedal tradition originated at the latest within a decade of Jesus' death and at the earliest months after Jesus' death. This is why we begin with this bedrock meeting between Peter and Paul. New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce says, One piece of information, information which he most probably received during his visit was that Jesus having been raised from the dead on the third day, appeared to Cephas, 1 Corinthians 15.5. It may also have been from Cephas that Paul learned how, after his appearance to Cephas, Jesus appeared then to the twelve, then to more than 500 brethren at one time. As evidenced throughout his letters, Paul learned many historical facts and traditions about Jesus from Peter, James, and others who knew the historical Jesus. Yet the creedal tradition in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7 is the most valuable of them all. Indeed, as A.M. Hunter puts it, it is our pearl of great price. Ehrman writes that if this tradition goes back to before the time when Paul himself joined the movement, around the year 33 CE, some three years after Jesus had died, it would be very ancient indeed. This passage almost certainly contains a pre-Pauline confession or creed of some kind. If Paul received this creedal tradition sometime in the mid-30s AD, then it must have been composed sometime before he received it, and of course, after Jesus was crucified in AD 30 or 33. This is what leads to the agreement among scholars that this creedal tradition should be dated no later than a decade after Jesus' crucifixion. Some scholars even date its composition to within months of Jesus' death, going back to the very pillars themselves, Peter, James, Jesus' brother, John, and possibly others of the Twelve. Dale Allison writes, Indeed, Paul knew Peter and James, and presumably others, 
who claimed to have seen the risen Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8 is not folklore. The creedal tradition found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8 is the bedrock source for all the bedrock facts we will be discussing in this book concerning Jesus' death, resurrection, and appearances. Now let us behold the bedrock, most ancient source of Christianity, which is unanimously dated, on average, within five years of Jesus' death. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Even though we don't know everything about this meeting between Peter and Paul that we would like, the fruit of this meeting, represented in Paul's receiving some or all of the traditions behind 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7, forms the unalterable bedrock source of Christianity. What is to come? In chapters 1 and 2, I will discuss what we know about the bedrock eyewitness, the historical Paul, and key chronological aspects of his movements. In chapter 3, I will look in more detail at the dating and content of the bedrock source, the creedal traditions found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7. For most of the rest of the book, chapters 4-6, through six, I will focus on this creedal tradition line by line and reveal all the bedrock facts about Jesus that emerge from it. In chapter 7, I will look at one more bedrock fact of early Christianity, namely, that it became an indestructible movement that has gone on to be the most dominant and influential religion in the world. In the conclusion, I will seek to answer those questions I asked in the introduction. Who was Jesus? Did the historical Jesus rise from the dead? What was the cause of this world-changing movement known as Christianity? And how do you fit into the story of Jesus? Like Horatio and Hamlet, we will see whether our philosophies are large enough to include the unexpected and extraordinary. Come with me on this journey through history, a journey that I think should be likened to time traveling. That's the end of this week's reading of Dr. Justin Bass's book, The Bedrock of Christianity. Hope you're enjoying it so far and uh, it's piqued your interest. So it's going to get better, believe me. So uh, thanks for stopping by again. Hope you'll check out the show notes for this week's cigar. And of course, the links to uh, Dr. Bass's website where you can pick up copies of his books. Um, check out his videos on some debates he's had, which I'm working my way through now, like I said last week. Uh, there's some long ones in there, so you know, two, three hour long uh, debates, so takes a while but I'm really enjoying them and also check out the links to uh, groundworksministries.com for daily bible studies and devotionals as well as the uh, burning bush podcast merchandise store 
where you can pick up some t-shirts, mugs, stickers, magnets, things like that to help spread the word about the show. And uh, please tell your friends, help us out here. Let's, let's grow this thing as big as we can and uh, tell as many people as we can about Jesus Christ. So until next week, have a great day, have a great cigar, and God bless. Thank you.